Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, we continue now our um, reading of the great book of Revelation, which the church gives us now every Sunday throughout the Easter season. I urged you last week, I'll do it again now, um, during the Easter season, take out your Bible and open up, easy to find, the last book called the Book of Revelation and read through it, maybe with a good commentary. Uh, it's a little tricky to read. It's a strange book. Um, it's an odd, uh, sometimes even off-putting book. But keep in mind that the, the church placed this great text at the very end of the Bible, which means it's the culmination of the great story. If you want to really understand the story of the Bible, you have to see where the thing ends. And it's very interesting how it doesn't end, you know, with the Gospels. The Gospels are, are, you know, they describe, of course, the climax of the story, but that the church put this book as a kind of interpretive key at the very end. It's really important. I mentioned last week, and it's important to, to reemphasize it, that apocalypse doesn't have to do primarily with end of the world or with disaster. Now, there's some of that in there, as I explained, because, you know, uh, the, the giving way of an old world and the coming of a new one often involves a lot of storminess. But the basic meaning of apocalypsis is unveiling. So something's going to be disclosed. A new thing is being revealed. And I mentioned last week, it has to do primarily with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead which inaugurated a whole new way of ordering things. So keep that in mind as the overarching sort of interpretive key for this, this great book. Well, in our passage for today, it's taken from the fifth chapter of Revelation. So we started last week with chapter one, but we skipped over a number of things. They, by the way, are super interesting. It's the letters that John's inspired to send to the various Christian churches, and they're really interesting. But we, we skip over that and we get to chapter five. What do we hear now? We hear that John the visionary is brought up again into the heavenly temple. So think of the temple on earth, you know, now that destroyed in the year 70 AD. So if this book is written somewhere around the year 100, that, that temple in Jerusalem is already gone. But John is imagining the heavenly temple of which the earthly one is just a sort of copy, right? He's brought up into this heavenly temple, and he sees, as it were, God's intention for his creation from the beginning. What he's going to see in this beautiful liturgical display is an archetype of God and the world in right relationship. You know, And anyone that's listened to me or read me over the years knows that's a key theme for me, is that right praise, right? When the church worships God aright, that's an image, that's a acting out of what God desires for us. Okay, but to get this now, to get what John is seeing, I think we have to move from the last book of the Bible to the first, namely the book of Genesis. 
and the great account of creation. So we're in the last book, and John's seeing this great liturgical display. But to understand it properly, let's go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible. What we see in that wonderful creation account is that all of the elements of the world come forth from God in a kind of stately liturgical procession. Do you remember you know, the first day and the second day, and then evening came, morning followed, the third day, and et cetera. And all the elements from the, the light and the planets and the stars, the earth and the animals, and even the creepy things and so on, all come forth one after the other in a stately procession. All those things, planets and stars and the earth and mountains and animals and so on, at one time or place in the ancient world were worshiped as gods. But now they're revealed properly not as gods, but as creatures, creatures of the one true God. But that stately liturgical progress discloses their purpose. Not to be worshipped. See, that's the source of all kinds of mischief. Don't worship creatures. But rather, their purpose is to stand as a chorus of praise to the Creator. There's the whole Bible, everybody, in a way. The whole Bible is there. Don't worship the world, but let the world be itself a chorus of praise to the true God. Now, the creature, go back to Genesis, who comes last in the procession, as is the case in our liturgical processions today, the one that comes last is the one who will lead the praise, right? Think of priest or a bishop in a liturgical procession. Well, who comes last in the Genesis procession but human beings? After planets and stars and animals and the earth and water and everything else, what comes but human beings? Our job is to lead all of creation in a great chorus of praise to God. And see how wonderful, and the rabbis were really good at pointing this out, how wonderful that the act of creation ends with what? The Sabbath day a day of rest, the day on which the God of Israel is properly praised. God rests on the seventh day, but not because God needs to take a break, like he's exhausted from creation. It's the day of rest where all of creation now, under the the guidance and leadership of human beings, gives praise to the true God. Okay, that's the picture, everybody. That's the biblical image of what makes us happy. That's the world as it's supposed to be. But, according to this great scriptural narrative, things rather quickly got off kilter. We call this process sin, and a very legitimate way to characterize all sin is bad praise. Human beings begin to worship not God. Watch how Adam and Eve stop listening to God. They stop following God's uh, commandments. And we worship something less than God. It might be our own ego, our own uh, plan for life. It might be our country. It might be uh, a political leader. Who knows? But whenever you give praise to something or someone less than God, you fall apart. And then creation begins to fall apart around you. So, you know, told in marvelously laconic form how the Bible in just a few poetic strokes tells this great story, which was true at the beginning, and everybody, it's true now. See, don't just read the Bible, oh yeah, that happened long ago, all that stuff. No, it's it's happening now. 
In other words, the call to give right praise to God and our falling away from that. It's all a, a dynamic happening now. All right? What's God's purpose in the wake of sin? Well, the construction of a people who would know how to praise him. The result is Israel, God's holy people, marked by covenant, by temple worship, by prophecy, by Torah. The rescue operation that is Israel, which was an up-and-down affair, right? Now read the whole Old Testament. Did it solve the problem immediately? No, Israel is faithful and faithless. Israel worships correctly, then it doesn't worship correctly. It honors God, then it runs after false gods, right? The Israel rescue operation is a mixed bag at best. But, as the Bible continues to tell its great story, it culminates in the one who does fulfill covenant, temple, law, and prophecy, namely Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the faithful witness. In his life, death, cross, resurrection, he gives the Father right praise on our behalf and thereby brings the world back online. Okay, that's my little rehearsal in just in a few minutes of the whole biblical narrative from creation, right praise, through sin, through Israel, to Jesus, right? But it's against that background that we have to look at the passage for today from the book of Revelation. So let's go with John. He's up in the heavenly temple, the heavenly court. What does he see? He sees angels, elders, living creatures, countless in number, all standing around the throne and crying out in loud praise. What is that, everybody? What is that? It's a supreme liturgical act. It's an act of right praise and linking together, mind you, the supernatural realm, angels and and elders and saints, plus living creatures and human beings, countless in number, all standing. That was in Israel, the attitude of worship. You'd stand, right? Standing around the throne and crying out in loud praise. What sin undid has been redone now. Now, press it. Whom are they worshiping? Listen to John. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches, wisdom and strength, honor and glory and blessing. They are worshiping in the heavenly temple, not a mighty prince, not a great warrior, not a cosmic force, but a lamb, one of the meekest and tiniest of animals who's been slain. Can you imagine from a worldly perspective, a less impressive figure? But the reference, of course, is to Christ who was declared by John the Baptist, Lamb of God, who was sacrificed on the wood of the cross. The church, from the beginning, has seen this evening sacrifice as the perfect act of praise. And now, in John's vision, the cosmic church is gathered around it and associating itself with it. Press it. This cosmic church, this heavenly assembly, influences the right praise on the earth below. Listen. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, everything in the universe cry out to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor, glory and might forever and ever. Do you see it now, everybody? 
This is what God intended from the beginning. All of his creation, heaven, earth, sea, under the earth, angels, saints, everybody, gathered in right praise around him. And the one who, after the disaster of sin, made this possible was none other than the lamb standing as though slain. Okay, one last, but I think very important stuff. How precisely does the right praise of heaven, which John sees in the heavenly temple, become the right praise of earth? The short answer is the Mass. The Mass, everybody, is so much more than, than the community coming together for mutual support. I remember reading bad theologians back in the 70s saying stupid things like that. The Mass is rather a sort of conduit to heaven. And indeed, the language of the Mass frequently gives this away, doesn't it? Watch how often the angels and saints are invoked during the Mass. This is not pious decoration. That's the heart of the matter. In the Sanctus, for example, we say, may our voices be one with theirs, meaning the angels and saints. Well, we're not just whistling Dixie. I mean, we mean it. May our praise enacted here below mirror and participate in the great praise eternally underway in heaven. That's what John sees. And can I suggest, think about that now. Next time you go to Mass, even if it's Tuesday morning, Mass is 6.30, we are getting ourselves back online. That's what John sees in his great vision for today. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.